Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Okay, you guys, there is so much more to life than just workouts and healthy recipes. This is all of those real moments, the good, the bad, and the sometimes hilarious things that make life so worth living. So how do you live it? This is the Let's Do Life podcast with me, Autumn Calabrese. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Let's Do Life with Autumn Calabrese. I am fitness and nutrition expert, Autumn Calabrese. I am so excited about today's episode. First of all, let me apologize for my raspy voice. I'm not sick. I do have laryngitis. I've been in rehearsals for my new fitness program, Nine Week Control Freak, that I am filming next month. So lots of talking has me very raspy. But nonetheless, we are going to do this. And like I said, I am super excited because I have a very special guest on today's episode. He is known on Instagram as the Gut Health MD. He's also known as Dr. B or Dr. Will Bolshewitz, MCSI. He is the New York Times bestselling author of the book Fiber, Fiber Fueled. He's also an award-winning gastroenterologist, gut health expert, and the author of more than 20 articles in the top American gastroenterology journals. He's a graduate of Georgetown University School of Medicine and was chief medical resident at Northwestern Memorial Hospital and chief gastroenterology fellow at the University of North Carolina Hospitals. He lives in Charleston, South Carolina with his wife and two children. And we are going to talk all about his book, Fiber Fueled. We're going to talk about gut health and what our microbiome is. Welcome to the show, Dr. B. So I'm here with Dr. B. We're talking all about gut health. And I think people are so interested to learn more and more about this science that really is, it's a new science when, when you look at it, right? Like it feels like I know doctors have been studying it for years, but it feels like it's just more recent in the media, in the news. What is our gut biome? What's our microbiota? And there's a lot of questions. I'm seeing people, um, there's a lot of misinformation. I definitely know that. So first of all, Dr. B, can we just jump in and can you just give us like a brief definition of what our biome, what what is our gut biome so that people understand what we're talking about? Sure. hundred percent. Autumn, first of all, let me just say thank you so much for having me on and hello to the listeners at home. Thanks for joining us today. And I'm hoping that you guys will find this to be a great episode. We're talking about all things gut healthier today. So um, let me just take it from the top. Let's talk about this gut microbiome that we've been hearing about. And let me explain what this is for everyone. You know, it's really fascinating and a little bit hard to imagine, but covering each one of us from the top of our head, to the tip of our toes are these invisible microbes and they, you know, the naked eye can't pick them up, but if you had a microscope, you would be able to see their existence. They're there. They're alive. They're as alive as you and I are. They have a purpose. And, um, you know, the number is quite staggering and overwhelming. So let me give you a quick example, Autumn. If, uh, and I would encourage your listeners at home to do this right now, take a look at your thumb. And literally right there on your thumb, there are as many microbes as there are people in the UK. Yeah, it's it's like crazy. And, you know, that's just the beginning. They're concentrated in our gut, specifically our colon, which is our large intestine. So deep down inside of us, our bowels, deep down inside our bowels is 
this community that is alive and they're not human and they number 39 trillion, 39 trillion. Now that is a number that is really, really hard to like put into context. So let me do my best right now. Um, take our galaxy, the Milky Way, and take all of the stars that exist within our galaxy. And you would need 100 galaxies full of stars to e- equal the number of microbes that you have living inside of you literally right now. And so they're made up of bacteria and fungi or yeast, and in some people, parasites. And then my personal favorite are the archaea. Archaea are these weird things that are somewhere between bacteria and fungi. They're different. And we have evidence that archaea have existed on our planet for 4 billion years. Wow. Which is ridiculous because us humans have only been around for about 3 million years, which is nothing. And um, these archaea, you'll find them in the most insane places, like in the bottom of the ocean, miles deep inside of a rift vent or inside of a volcano, or in the friendly confines of your colon. (laughs) So, which I I mean, I don't know, like you can, each one of us can decide which of those three places you would take, but uh, suddenly the colon is sounding almost appealing, which is kind of weird to imagine. And um, so, and what's cool, Autumn, is that these microbes, they're not just passengers, they're not just passively in existence. They're, uh, they're a major part of who we are as humans. We have, learned, we have grown to coexist with them, right? Like we are, more, we are more of these bacteria and fungi than we are human cells, right? Literally, we are more than 50% of these microbes and less than 50% human. And depending on how you look at it, some people would even go so far as to say that 90% of the cells that make us up are these microbes and only 10% human. So it it depends on how you want to look at it. It's crazy. That is crazy because then you stop to go, okay, well, we are are of this other species sort of making us up. So what, like, what does that mean for our well-being? What is it like, what do these microbes do for our health? Or how do yes. they affect our health? Totally. So we were just talking about, you know, 3 million years of humans. And if we could somehow get into the DeLorean and go back in time, we would like go meet the very first human. <laughs> and what you would find is they have a microbiome. There's never been a sterile human. We've always had these microbes. We've always had a relationship with these microbes. And through the years, the rise and fall of generations of humans we're dependent on these microbes to the point that we evolved with them and we grew to trust them and we trusted them with really, really, really important stuff. So for example, I don't think it would come as any surprise to the listeners that these microbes that live in our colon are really important to digestion and digestion. We take for granted like, Oh, well it's just digestion, just digestion. That's literally life. That's access to nutrients. That's like the most important thing that happens for us. Well, and I actually, I'm going to argue the opposite side and say, I think people don't even think about it. We don't, don't even think about we don't, it. We don't think about our food. Right. Like I, I constantly try to drive home the point to people that you, 
really are what you eat. Like your body becomes what you eat. Like your cells turn on or turn off based on what you're putting in. And like, I use my dad as an example all the time. My dad is the biggest, I love him to death, but he's the biggest pain in my ass in the world. He he does not believe it. He doesn't, doesn't believe that food impacts our health at all. He's like, he just doesn't want to believe he wants to drink his bottle of wine and eat his white bread and, and do that diet. And then he wonders why he has all these health issues. So I don't think people think about the impact of our food. And we're going to go a little bit deeper because I'm going to have you explain like, well, what does that mean? Like what we're eating, like, how does it impact these microbes? What does that do for them? And then what is yeah. the effect of that? Yeah. I, well, you know, I kind of feel like we got to get your dad a copy of my book, Fiber Fields, to be honest with you. Oh, I've already I think sent it to him. I've already sent it right. to him. It's just a matter of getting him to read it. Exactly. Um, so, and you know what, there, there are, believe it or not, also gastroenterologists in my specialty who feel that same way too. And then when I talk to them, I say, well, do you believe that the microbiome is relevant? Do you believe that the microbiome is relevant to a person who has Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis? And they can't deny it. They can't deny that the microbiome is relevant. And so then I say, well, does food affect our microbiome? And if they know anything about the microbiome, then they will discover that this is the missing link. That, you know, this explains the re- many of the reasons why food is so critically important to human health, which is that if you show me what, someone's eat, if what someone eats, we can predict what their microbiome looks like. And if you show me what their microbiome looks like, I could tell you what you've been eating for the last few months. Right. So it's all reflected there. It's like, an, it's like a photograph of, what, of our lifestyle. We have our micro. Okay, so we hear two words a lot: microbiome and microbiota. Is yeah. there a difference, and what is it? Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I'm as guilty as anyone of kind of being lax sometimes about using these words almost interchangeably. Okay, and there is a difference. There is a difference. So the microbiota speaks to specifically these living microbes. Okay, the bacteria, the fungi. When we say microbiota, we're talking specifically about the fact that there are these living creatures. When we use the word microbiome, we're really actually talking about the DNA, the DNA where, you know, we said before that you are less than 50% human based upon these microbes. If you actually looked at your DNA, literally less than 1% of your DNA is actually human. 99% of your DNA, 99.5% of your DNA comes from these microbes. And so what's fascinating is that you were born from DNA, you know, you were born with DNA that you inherited from your parents. And yes, you did to some degree inherit your microbiome, but 99.5% of your genetic code can be modified. And the ability to modify that is critically important to all things related to human health, because if you can change the microbiome, then you can change the behavior of the microbiome, you can change, you know, basically how it works, how it functions, what it produces. You can do all those things, which is insanely powerful. And when you do that, it can alter the course of health versus disease. And this autumn is the reason why modern scientists believe that just 20% of disease is actually caused by the genes that you inherit. And 80% of disease versus health is determined by diet and lifestyle. I mean, that's huge. Obviously, when we look at the 
the number like the number one, two, three killers right now in America, they're from lifestyle diseases when you're heart disease and things like that. For me as a, like in the profession that I'm in fitness and nutrition, and it's nothing compared to what you do, but it's so frustrating to me when people don't want to acknowledge that if they just shifted what they were eating a little bit, it could impact their health so much. And, and the more I dig into it, the more I learn, I'm always trying to learn more. Um, the more I learn about just how many things our, our, our gut biome can affect in terms of our health, everything from anxiety and depression to acne and then other more severe lifestyle diseases. So can you, can you give us a little rundown of some things like when you have dysbiosis in your gut, what are just some things that we could potentially have to deal with because of that? Sure. So we said before that the gut is deeply intertwined with our digestion. So that's, that's number one. And let's just keep going further. So it's deeply intertwined with our immune system. 70% of your immune system, which by the way, isn't that kind of important these days with the threat of COVID-19, right? right? 70% of your immune system lives in your gut. Like if you were to zoom in with a microscope, you would see there's a single layer of cells so thin that the naked eye can't pick it up. And on one side is your gut microbiome and on the other side, or your gut microbiota. And on the other side, is 70% of your immune system. And they are so intertwined that autumn when I was researching my book, I started looking up all these autoimmune diseases. Every single one, every single one that I found was connected back to damaged gut microbiome. So from my perspective, I'm of the belief at this point that it is required to develop an autoimmune disease damage to the gut. I'm of the belief, yes. And so, and I also believe that if you want to protect yourself from autoimmune disease, the way that you do that is the opposite. You optimize your gut and you make it stronger. So immune system, digestion, hormonal balance, hormonal balance. Um, our, our estrogen levels have been connected to gut microbes that produce something, an enzyme called beta glucuronidase. Even our androgens, the male sex hormones, have been connected back to our gut microbes. And this is the reason why endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome, breast cancer, uh, endometriosis, I'm sorry, uh, endo, uh, endometrial hyperplasia, all of these different conditions, hormonal conditions connected back to the gut. And if you, uh, I'm sure you got some male listeners. So let me shout out to the fellas out there. Yep. If I want to motivate a guy to do something with, with, when it comes to health, I got two letters that will motivate every single guy. ED, erectile dysfunction, okay? That is connected to the gut. Guys, you need to step your gut health game up if you want to step your bedroom game up. That's the truth, all right? So um, so there's that. And then uh, there, our metabolism. So, you know, we uh, are of the belief or we have been traditionally told that weight is calories in, calories out. And there's no doubt that if you restrict calories, you will lose weight. But guess what? Your metabolism will start to slow down too. So it's more complicated than just counting calories. There's more to it than just that. And there's some fascinating studies, Autumn, that, it, that they've done where they've basically looked at transferring the microbiome mm-hmm. from humans into mice. These blow my mind, by the way. Every time I hear these studies, I'm like in awe. This has been reproduced multiple times over the last uh, like 14 years. So um, what they do is they will take an obese human and they will take a skinny human 
and they will transfer these microbes from their gut into a mouse that doesn't have a microbiome. And so these two, these two mice, one receives an obese, an obese human microbiome, the other one receives a skinny human microbiome, and they feed these two mice the exact same thing, exact same number of calories. And the, the, the mouse that gets the obese microbiome becomes obese, and the mouse that gets the skinny microbiome becomes skinny. They are eating the same number of calories. And that, you know, obviously nutrition is not a one-size-fits-all per se, but we're going to dive in obviously to what you talk about, which is fiber and things like that at plant-based, which I want to get to. But so, so here you are, you're saying, okay, you've got the, the microbiome of a obese person and the microbiome of a skinny person. And they get put into these mice that had no microbiome and one becomes obese and one stays skinny. It, It just goes to show that like, what these, what these gut bugs, let's just use the word gut bugs are doing and how they're digesting our food or if they're digesting our food properly, I guess, right, has an impact on how much of our nutrients we uptake, how much we store as fat, how much we get rid of as waste. Am I understanding that correctly? Perfectly. And I, what I would say is I know that as a trainer, so you're an advocate for the people that you work with, right? And you're an advocate for their fitness. I'm an advocate for their health as their doctor. And both of us have seen these people that there are some people that they can, they can eat whatever they want and get away with it. Lucky you. Yes. Right. And then we see these other people who hustle and they sweat and they do what we told them to do and they still struggle to lose weight. And you feel for those people because they're working so hard and we don't give them enough credit. And I view it like this autumn. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. We're on the coast. Okay. I go swimming in the ocean. Sometimes there's a current that's pushing me. And I look like Michael Phelps out there in the ocean. I am ripping through that ocean like an animal, right? Yes. But then there are times when the current is pushing against me and it can be a brisk current and I could be a good swimmer and I'm not moving, right? right? And that's what what I feel is going on with the microbiome. The microbiome is the current that controls our metabolism. And so we want to get that current moving in our favor. And the way that we do that is by optimizing our gut because that will help us with our weight loss goals. So that's an important thing for people to consider. Right. So let's talk about some of the things that affect our microbiome. So, so all my listeners know I've been dealing with, with my gut issues for about four years now. And I used to have a stomach of steel, say it all the time. Could eat, I was that person. I could eat whatever I wanted, pretty much stayed lean always right around my 35th birthday. Um, things went to hell in a handbag for me and I couldn't understand why I was still working out regularly. I was still eating super clean. Um, and for me, I started to lose weight very quickly, which does not look good on my frame because I'm already small. So I started to look sick. Um, Mm. I started to have really irregular ball movements, whereas I had been very normal before, but all of a sudden I was having very loose stool. I was having terrible gas, terrible bloating, I didn't feel good after I ate, even though I was eating really healthy foods. Um, my anxiety skyrocketed. Depression kicked in and I couldn't, and here, here I am, like living what should be my best life. My, I'm at the top of my career. Everything's going well. And I was in a downward spiral. And I went to see doctor after doctor after doctor, so many doctors here in Los Angeles. And I had doctors telling me, your numbers are the best I've ever seen. There's nothing wrong with you. Maybe you need to see a different kind of doctor. 
like you need a therapist doctor. And it was three years of that, three years of undiagnosed. And uh, I went, I ended up actually at a naturopath doctor. It was my last hope. I was like, I'm going to go see one more and see if somebody will come up. And she tested me for food sensitivities. Mm. And it turned out that the foods, some of the foods that are deemed very healthy foods that I was eating every single day were off the charts for food sensitivities. So for me personally, it was eggs, flaxseed, and nuts. Mm. And I eat, I eat nuts all the, I was eat, I eat nuts all the time. I ate flaxseed all the time. I love, love, love eggs. I ate them every morning for breakfast. So her recommendation to me obviously was, okay, those are off the charts. You need to get rid of those. So great. I did. I cut those foods out. For the most part, things went back to normal. And it's been this sort of two year process for me trying to heal my gut, heal the gut lining. So because she said I had leaky gut. By the time I saw her, I was actually, when she ran my blood work, I was considered malnourished. I had no B vitamins. My adrenals were tapped. My zinc was gone. My iron was gone because I was eating healthy, but I wasn't absorbing it. This is, this is all the information I had. So, so I can look back now and understand what happened, what I probably did to my gut. I went through a, a period of three years where I was very prone to bronchitis and I was always prescribed antibiotics. Mm. I was probably taking antibiotics three times a year. Mm over the course of three years, in addition to at the start of all of my issues with my gut, I had my doctor put me on a really high, strong antibiotic because he was like, well, maybe you have a parasite because I had been traveling. So he's like, oh, just take this, take this antibiotic, even though we don't have the poop sample test back yet. Here, just take this antibiotic. So obviously we know that's napalm to everything in your gut, good and bad bacteria. So I, I'm under the assumption that I wreaked havoc on my gut microbiome with antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in the process of trying to figure out how to heal that. Yeah. So one, so my first question to you, I guess would be like, okay. And I like, let's talk about that. What are, what are we doing? What are we doing to destroy our guts? Why is it such an issue for so many people? Okay, cool. So, um, all right, let's, let's walk through this. Uh, and, and just talk about, Starting off with, I guess, just broaden this out to the whole audience. Let me let me shout out to the whole audience real quick and just say, every single one of us has a gut health story. So this is your story. And, and we're going to dive into this a little bit. And we're going to get this figured out on some of these issues. Okay. But each one of us, I want to also include some of the things that may not, maybe are not affecting you. Yes, please. Okay. That, that may be a part of this. So with you, when I'm hearing this story, obviously the thing that pops out and you shared this at the end is the repeated courses of antibiotics. Yes. All right. So when we take antibiotics, I want everyone to keep in mind, number one, I am not saying antibiotics are bad or that there's no role for antibiotics. Antibiotics are probably the greatest medical invention of the last 100 years and have added literally years to each one of our lives. Okay. So they're a good thing when taken appropriately. But the problem is anything that good we have a tendency to overuse it. And when we don't realize that there actually are consequences to taking antibiotics, particularly if they're unnecessary. When we take an antibiotic, it destroys microbes. It is not targeting just the bad guys. It's just napalming the gut. It's just nuking the whole thing. And then, you know, basically in the process of nuking it, you're hopefully taking out enough bad guys that you can take care of whatever the issue is that you're dealing with in that particular moment. 
Right. The problem is that we don't recover. So we may like really start to recover our microbiome after about a month, but there is definitely a lasting imprint on our gut. And so, you know, let me give you a quick example just to kind of make it more tangible. Yes. If you take the drug Cipro, which many people have taken, okay? okay. So Cipro, they take it for urinary tract infection or different gut infections. If you take it for just five days, it will wipe out about a third of your gut microbes. Whoa. That's a lot. That's trillions and trillions and trillions of microbes. Yeah. All right. And what happens is, okay, so you've wiped out a third. So who's left? The two third that are left behind are the ones that are Cipro resistant. Mm. So we have selected for antibiotic resistant bugs. And now those are the ones that start taking over and dominating your gut. And so even though you may heal from the antibiotics, your gut microbiome is never quite the same. You've altered the balance of what it used to be. And I think of it almost like when you dig yourself into a hole and you're trying to climb your way out of it, if in the process of trying to climb your way out of this hole, you have to take antibiotics again, you just end up in an even deeper hole and you keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's what happens, unfortunately, in people that, for example, have seasonal allergies or sinusitis, chronic sinusitis, and end up on antibiotics a couple times a year, or the people who have uh, skin conditions where they end up on antibiotics, you know, effectively, I mean, just perpetually. Right. Um, all these things can have a prof profound effect on our gut. So now a couple other things that I was wondering, do you, did you, with your fitness background, did you ever have to do like performances where you were cutting weight or things like that? I did compete for a few years, but for me, I, the division that I competed in, I didn't have to cut weight. I just, I actually, I, the way I took, I, I ate my way down in weight, believe it or not. So I would eat more food but really healthy, clean, high quality, right? High quality food. So yep. I definitely wasn't, um, starved at any point in any of my training. Okay, perfect. So this may not apply to you, but I'm guessing that there will be some people at home yes. that this will apply to, which is that when we, when we go on hyper restrictive diets and there's an entire spectrum to this that can go so far as things that we would diagnose as anorexia, mm -hmm or things that we might diagnose as bulimia, which is not so much a restrictive diet, but it is a disordered eating pattern. When we fall on a disordered eating pattern and we restrict our diet, that in itself causes harm to the microbiome. And so, so for example, people who are competitive with bodybuilding, right. go entering into those shows and going into sort of hyper-restricted um, diets for the purpose of the show, is something that even though that's not necessarily a disordered eating pattern, that in and of itself can potentially cause harm to the microbiome in the long run. And I have some of these people that I see in my clinic who were I former bodybuilders. I probably didn't eat the same variety of foods that I, that I typically eat during my competition times. Like right. it was just like, this is what I know. This is what works. So even though I was eating a lot of vegetables, I probably was eating mostly asparagus and broccoli. Right. Even though I was eating good, healthy carbohydrates, it was mostly sweet potatoes, white potatoes, or brown rice. Right. So there wasn't a lot of variety in what I ate during those times. 
Right, right. And that's, and that's an issue is that, is that restrictive diets, and we'll elaborate on this more as we go through the show, okay. but restrictive diets, whether it's something that is done as part of a disordered eating pattern, or whether it's done because this is the hot new diet that everyone is doing, and it's a hyper-restrictive diet where you know, they have 100 things that you're going to eliminate, those things cause harm to our microbiome. All right. Another thing um, is, and this may or may not be you at all, but you're so successful at such a young age. And one of the things that I think about too is stress. Stress. And so stress, the, the person who suffers with a damaged gut in the setting of stress is many times the person who does it all right. They eat well, they sleep, they exercise, and yet their gut still gives them trouble. And that's because there's this profound influence, which is the, the stress. We're all feeling this right now from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just a part of our world these days. Many of my patients that I take care of are suffering more than usual these days because they manifest that stress in their gut, which that's is very human. Hundred percent. I'm actually not as young as I as I'm. I'm told I look. I'm I'm about to be forty, so I appreciate that. But um, but no, stress has always been a big thing for me, and probably right around that time, when I was turning thirty five and I started to have the issues, it was a very stressful period for me. And now, even though I thrive in the stressful zone because I like having a lot on my plate and I like to, because I love my job, I always want to do more of it. It does. It is stress, and it it. It's there, and I always feel it in my stomach. So Autumn, you and I are like fraternal twins and we can compare <laughs> birthdays later because I'm turning, I'm turning 40. I, I won't, I won't say the date, but I'm turning 40 really soon also. Okay. And so I think we're, we're like, uh, you know, we come from the same space and it's just, I, that's kind of cool. But anyway, I, I, the most challenging, the most challenging patients that I see, I get a lot of people who have been to four, five, six doctors. I get patients who have been to the Mayo Clinic and then they come to see me. And many times what I end up uncovering is that trauma is the driving factor. And this is not something that I see as being related to you, but more so stress, particularly intense stress, particularly intense stress at a young age can manifest later in life with severe gut issues. And so people that have been the victims of trauma or abuse, whether it's physical, sexual, psychological, emotional, any of those things, those things can manifest with gut issues as an adult, particularly when it's happened to us when we're younger, but it it could also be an abusive relationship as an adult. And so those, it typically requires me to really connect with my patient for four or five office visits. And then they really start to trust me. And they will open up and say something about it. And once I make this discovery that this is there, then I know that this needs to have, this is something that we need to deal with as well. That we can't just change their diet. We can't just, you know, have them exercise and stuff like that. Right. So, but finally, uh, Autumn, the last thing that I wanted to say is, and perhaps this is, you know, the biggest of the bunch is diet and lifestyle. Diet and lifestyle is so critically important to our microbiome. And so, if you take a step back for a moment and you think about our life in 2020, here we are. We are 10% plants, fruits, vegetables, whole grain, seeds, and nuts. That's like the average American, 10% plants. We are 60% processed food, which is stuff that our great-grandparents would have never been able to eat because it didn't exist. Right. We have created it in recent years, and we have created it using chemicals. 
and we are about 30% animal products. And it's not so much that we have to, you know, that every single person has to be 0% animal products, but it's more so to say that the average American right now eats more than their own body weight in meat on a yearly basis. Wow. And that, that excessive consumption of animal products is definitely having a negative effect on our gut microbiome. There's no question about that. And so there's an opportunity there to make improvements. So you think about our diet and our lifestyle, we're not really exercising the way that we used to. You know, our great-grandparents, they would walk to school, they would walk to work, they would be outdoors, they didn't have television. Um, You know, we're not sleeping the way that we should. Many times we're being exposed to blue light from our phone, from our computer, from our television late at night. And then that affects our melatonin, which is our sleeping hormone. Um, So we're not sleeping like we used to. We're not exercising like we used to. We're not spending time outdoors. We're not eating well. And all of these things have put a strain on these gut microbes that were really well adapted to 3 million years of us living outdoors and eating natural food and sleeping when we wanted to sleep and resting when we need the rest and all those good things. So here we are, and probably, I I can't even put a number on it, maybe you could, but I'm sure there's a bunch of us that have gut dysbiosis at this point in our lives. What do we do? What do we do to start? Well, one, can we repair it? Is it possible to repair it? And if so, how? Like, what do we do to get back on track? Yeah, so it is possible to repair it. Um, We have these very interesting studies where... um, let me take you to um, Tanzania for a moment. And there's this group of people that we've studied called the Hadza. They're fascinating. They're hunters and gatherers in 2020, meaning that they, they're tribal people. They don't have farms. They don't have supermarkets. They don't have money. They live off the land. And they give us great insights into what our gut microbes were like in prehistoric times. And, uh, what's interesting about them is that their, their diet is very seasonal. So like if berries are in season, they eat berries, but when berries aren't in season, they just don't have access to it anymore. And what you see is the microbiome shifts and adapts to their diet through the years, through the year. And that microbes will disappear and go off the radar. Mm. And then those microbes will come back when they're needed so for example, there are specific microbes that, that are designed to help them process the berries. Right. So during berry season, these microbes come roaring back in full force and then berry season's over and you see them disappear. And like, where do they disappear to? Do they, do they, do we get them back because is there something in the berry that has them? So it's coming back in or is it just dormant in our system? Like, where does it go? I think that it comes back to a foundational principle of, of these gut microbes and their life, which is that, you know, we, we sort of take them for granted, but we need to acknowledge that they are alive and because they're alive, they need energy just like we do. So like what happens to us if we don't eat, we become malnourished, we become weak, fatigued, eventually we become incapable of doing our own job. And then we start to get sick. Right. Right. And the same thing is true for these microbes. They need to be fed and their preferred food is fiber. And so when you talk about, you know, these microbes that thrive when you eat berries, well, guess what? That's because that's the preferred food of those particular microbes. 
And there's a different group of microbes that will thrive when you got the kale on the, on the menu, or there's a different group of microbes that thrive when you got the black beans. But the key is that the, there are different types of fiber in every single one of these plants. And those unique types of fiber will feed different unique types of microbes. And what we want, the, the, the key to any ecosystem, whether it be the Amazon rainforest, the Great Barrier Reef, or our own gut microbiome, which by the way is an ecosystem, mm-hmm. the key to any of these ecosystems is biodiversity. It's so simple, biodiversity. And basically what that means is you have a microbiome that is strong, resilient, prepared to take on any sort of challenge that it faces. And that's because all the pieces are there. Right. Okay. So like just for a quick example, if you take the Amazon rainforest, I don't like snakes. I don't like mosquitoes. (laughs) But if you take mosquitoes and snakes out of the rainforest, you will create a void that the other animals are not designed to fill. And that will create a ripple effect throughout the entire rainforest because things will start to fail because we're missing this one tool that we need to keep the rainforest healthy. So the same is true with our gut microbes. We want biodiversity. The key to biodiversity within our gut is diversity within our diet. There's a study that, and this is the, one of the central uh, sort of uh, premises of my book, is that there was a study called the American Gut Project, mm-hmm. which is the most well-positioned study to allow us to connect our diet and lifestyle to the health of our microbiome. And in that study, when they analyzed it, no bias, not trying to prove a point, no agenda. When they analyzed this, this database, the clear-cut number one predictor of a healthy microbiome was the diversity of plants in your diet. As, as soon as I heard you say that, because I actually listened to your book on audio, as soon as I heard that, I was like, I'm going to start counting. Because I, I think you say at least 30 a week, 30 different ones. So I'm like, okay, I'm counting. And now I make my son do it too. My son's 11. So it's a fun way for me to get him to try to eat more fruits, vegetables, plants in general. I'm like, Dom, if you hit 30 different plants in a week, I'll give you $10 for like your Fortnite game or something. Cause I'm like, I don't want, I don't bribe him with food, but I'll, I have no problem bribing him with other things to get him trying new things. And he's, so he's open to it. So we're working on it. We're trying to see if we hit 30 different plants a week. I love that. I love that. And you know, gamifying it is a great way to do it for kids. Mm-hmm. Gamifying it is a great way to do it for adults too. Yeah. So like my, my daughter is six, my son is three, and we have a little competitions at dinner time. Who's got the most plant points? How many plant points can you get? All right. Um, but for me as an adult, this is my central philosophy. This is, this is the foundational principle of a healthy gut microbiome. When I go to the store, I'm thinking about diversity of plants. Mm-hmm. When I go to cook dinner, I'm thinking about diversity of plants. And it's very simple. Like, let me give you a quick example. You can make, like, regardless of what you see on Instagram, you can make simple meals and jazz them up big time. So take uh, whole wheat, like organic whole wheat pasta, mm-hmm. with tomato sauce. Okay, two plants. That's just the beginning. Let's, let's jazz this up. Take your sauce, get it simmering, and throw in onions, 
garlic, mushrooms, mm -hmm. zucchini, throw in some greens, like some spinach or whatever type of greens you like. Um, you could throw in some chickpeas. Yeah. Like th throw in whatever sounds good to you, raid the fridge, raid the pantry, get it in there. Then the like now the house smells amazing. Your kids are psyched to eat it. And you serve it with fresh basil and fresh parsley. And now all of a sudden you've gone from two plants up to 10. Yes. And it's literally one meal and your gut microbes are thriving and they're so grateful for what you just fed them. Yes. I love that. And I try to, you know, we try to do that a lot with my cooking show and my cookbooks, um, fix it. We try to make sure that like we have, I have a vegan plan. I also have a regular plan, but we try to make sure that we're using a wide variety of plants and all of it and giving people stuff that they wouldn't think of, but that isn't hard to make because it is, I think that's where we get stuck. I was saying this to a friend of mine yesterday. I said, our problem is we're stuck with, we're stuck in convenience. We we've gotten so used to, I want it right now that we don't want to take the time to even cook a 10 minute, right? Like we just would rather drive through the drive through and it's wreaking havoc on us so much further than our waistline. Like that's what we're focused on. We, you know, we always focus on, oh, well, my waistline and what do I need to do for my waistline? But we're neglecting that it's our overall health in general and that it impacts so much more. And what I love about the way you're describing it is you see all these things and like you, you grab a quick title here in a magazine or a quick title here on the news about like, oh, you know, eat seasonally. But nobody really goes into depth explaining, well, why? Why should we eat according to the season? Well, you just said it because when we eat according to the season, we're feeding our gut bugs that food that they're looking for at that season. It's not going to be hopefully genetically modified or meant to grow in a time period when it's not meant to grow. All these like pesticides and herbicides and all those things are affecting us as well, I'm assuming, right? Right. So I just, I love that you're explaining it deeper than the surface level of, eat seasonally because that like that's you hear that so often eat seasonally just because well why right. just because or you know eat a variety of plants but why now we're understanding why do i need a variety of plants because so many people will be like well i like broccoli so i eat broccoli right well, great but there's always too much of a good thing am i right oh totally and so 100 first of all on that which is that you could take literally any food on the planet and there's such a there's a threshold where it's too much of a good thing. I mean, if you ate a diet that literally is just kale all day, mm -hmm. that is not a healthy diet. Right. That is not a healthy diet. And you would be like way overdosing on specific vitamins and you would be completely undernourished and other stuff. But when you balance the kale out with other stuff, every single plant is bringing something to the equation that's of benefit to you. And so you get the best of all those worlds. And then on top of all that, you're feeding your gut microbes and every single unique plant that you eat is, is going to feed a different microbe. And this is where, um, you know, for me, actually the, the, uh, on Amazon, the most popular negative review of my book, what he points out is that I didn't say how many grams of fiber to eat. <laughs> and you and specifically say that's not the, that's not the thing. That is not the thing. So when you eat a plant predominant diet, and I like to, I like to describe it plant predominant because I want to take, like, I want to connect with the person who's 10% plant-based. That's the way I used to be. Mm -hmm. And I want to get them 50 and 60 and 70 and just start moving the, moving the needle. 
and get right. them moving in the right direction. Okay. So, but when you're eating a plant predominant diet, if you truly are eating real food, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes, you're, you're going to get the grams of fiber that you need, but the grams of fiber, it's not about grams. It's about variety. Variety is way more powerful, way more important to your microbiome, way more important to your health than grams of fiber is. So don't fixate and go start eating, you know, um, some like shredded weed or something like that and thinking that the cereal is going to fix your problems. Right. The diversity is the key. So I have two things I want to talk about before we wrap up. One is a selfish question for myself, but I think it will still apply to a lot of people. So there's a lot of people I'm sure that have had food sensitivity tests and have been told there's certain things that they're super sensitive to. Now I say food sensitivity. It's not an allergy. I'm not, it's not anaphylactic. It doesn't cause rashes. It hurts my stomach, causes gas and bloating. So nuts and so basically I think for me, nuts, legumes, legumes, those are the two biggest ones for me, like flaxseed and nuts and even beans and things like that are a little bit hard for me to process. They, they send my numbers off the charts. So they haven't been a part of my diet, but I would like for them to be a part of my diet because there's so much health benefit. Is there any way for me to add those foods back in or are they a no-go off limits? So there are, there are examples that I could create where foods become no-go off limits. It tends to be like, for example, gluten in the setting of celiac disease. Right. Or it tends to be someone has a food allergy where like a person who has a peanut allergy, their throat will close and they can't breathe yeah. and they need an EpiPen, right? No, hard no on those. Those are different. Yeah. So when we're talking about a food sensitivity, which is gas, bloating, maybe a change in bowel habits, some GI distress, mm-hmm. that's different. There is a threshold of these foods that you are capable of consuming. Mm. And if you cross the threshold, meaning that if you eat more than you're capable of eating, then you're going to feel the pain as a result of that because you have overwhelmed your body's ability to process and digest that food. But here's the beautiful thing. And I know that you're going to be able to relate to this analogy. The gut is like a muscle. It can be trained. Ah. It can be made stronger. All right. So when you go to eat beans, it's like exercising that muscle group. You're exercising the bean muscle group, right? So if you haven't been eating beans at all, right, that's okay. But it just means that this is like walking into the gym for the very first time when it comes to beans. When you're walking into the gym for the very first time, you don't grab 300 pounds and do a squat with that. You grab some minimal amount of weight and you start with the fundamentals to find out what you're actually capable of. And you recognize that the first week you're going to be sore. Yes. It comes with the territory. You're transitioning into a new thing, right? So you need to give your body an opportunity to adapt. Your gut microbes will adapt to your food. So does that mean and so does that mean that the maybe some of the ones I lost would come back or does that mean the ones that I have would adapt to digest those beans? I think that what that means from my perspective is my expectation is that you will take ones that right now have been starving. Mhm. And you will be feeding them. Okay. And because you feed them, they go from, you know, on the sideline, wasting away, weak, not capable of doing their job to you're just, you're bringing life, you're breathing life back into these microbes and you're bringing them back and you're restoring function Mm. to your gut in terms of your digestion in the process. But the key is to understand 
the process. Right. Which is just like going to the gym. If you lift too much, if you lift more than you're capable of, you're going to hurt yourself. Hurt yourself, yes. Right? So exercise is about going to the gym and doing hitting the sweet spot, which is where you are below that threshold where you hurt yourself, but you're still pushing your body and doing enough to build strength. Right. And that's what we do. And so for you, it may be, okay, you struggle with these foods, nuts, flaxseed, beans, legumes. It may be that you start off with literally like the smallest little sprinkle of flax ever. Right. Or like five beans, right? right? Don't go and get a quarter portion of the five bean chili. Even that is too much. Got it. Okay. That's awesome. So that is good to know that we can slowly introduce it. And I know you talk about it in your book, Fiber Fueled. And that's the one other thing that I want you to go in on because you say it in your book, you're like, oh, fiber is not sexy, but it is, it is what we need. So will you explain a little bit? Cause you talk about how we eat the fiber and then our microbes break it down into our short chain fatty acids. And that creates our postbiotic. I don't think many people know what a postbiotic is. They've heard of a prebiotic and they've heard of a probiotic, but they don't know what this postbiotic is. You know, so yeah, I mean, flat out, I know people think I'm crazy for saying this, but I think fiber is sexy. I'm just going to put it out there. And the reason why is because this is the nutrient that has the ability to deliver exactly what we're looking for. We spend so much time fixating and demonizing these things in our food, talking about what you can't eat. Let's talk about what you can eat and let's gravitate towards the healthy food that's going to heal our body. When we eat fiber, we talked about this just a little bit, but let's just, let's just um, go all the way with it. When we eat fiber, the fiber passes through our small intestine unchanged mm-hmm. and it arrives to our colon, which is where these microbes are living and they get into an absolute feeding frenzy. This is their preferred food. And so they will consume this. So what I'm describing to you is that the fiber in this equation is the prebiotic. Right. The prebiotic has arrived into the colon. And now these microbes, which we could call probiotic because they want to heal us, mm-hmm. they're going to consume that food. You know, you can take a capsule. I mean, everyone's heard of probiotics. Right. You can take a pill that has a bunch of microbes, but guess what? Those same microbes are already inside of you. They're already there. So why not just feed them and energize them and make them grow and multiply so that you have your own gut microbes, your own gut bugs thriving as opposed to introducing some foreign microbe that is just going to kind of pass through and come out the other side. Well, especially if you're not feeding them properly, no matter what, it doesn't matter how many times you take the probiotic. If you're not giving it the fuel, it's, it's not going to survive. Exactly. So, so the key here is that when this fiber meets microbes in the colon, this, this union comes together and magic happens. It's like Harry Potter stuff where what we get on the other side, the microbes want to pay us back. They want to heal us. They want to see us live forever because then they can continue to live inside us and be a part of us forever. So these microbes will release what are called short chain fatty acids. Mm-hmm. You get this when you eat fiber, you eat fiber, the microbes process it. And then they give you short chain fatty acids like butyrate, acetate, and propionate. Short chain fatty acids are the postbiotics. The entire point 
the entire point of all of this, all of this hype about probiotics, now some hype about prebiotics, the entire hype, the entire point is to get the postbiotics. Those are the ones that actually affect our health. So when you get these postbiotics, when you get butyrate, acetate, and propionate, let me just walk you through some of the things that starts happening to your body. You reverse dysbiosis. You heal leaky gut. You get more good microbes. You have less bad guys. You fix, you fix the lining of the colon. You actually directly impair the development of colon cancer. That's the number two cause of cancer death in America. You affect the immune system. I said 70% of the immune system is right there. You, you affect the immune system. You optimize it. You make it more targeted. I could talk for five minutes about COVID-19. I mean, basically, you make the immune system strong. You lower your cholesterol. You activate the satiety hormones so that you don't overeat. That's one of the big problems in today's world with our processed food. We overeat because they're, they're basically hyperpalatable. Right. We, so we, we improve our insulin sensitivity, which is effectively reversing reversing diabetes, type 2 diabetes. We're optimizing our microbiome so that we get the current of our metabolism swinging in our direction. We want that, we want that working for us. These postbiotic short-chain fatty acids jump into the bloodstream, spread throughout the body, and have healing effects everywhere that they go. In the heart, we think that they actually stop the progression of coronary artery disease and potentially reverse it. Wow. That's our number one killer. They go to the brain. We didn't talk about this a lot, but you touched on this in your own personal story. The gut and the brain are completely intertwined. Mm-hmm. They're, they're best friends. When you damage the gut, you are damaging the brain. Right. Short chain fatty acids go to the brain. We have a blood brain barrier. I said before that these short chain fatty acids fix the lining of the gut. Guess what? They also fix the lining of the brain. People who have brain fog will see improvement of their brain fog because of this. They cross the blood brain barrier. They improve our mood, our focus, our memory. And they even prevent Alzheimer's disease. If you think about how powerful that is, what would a drug company pay for that kind of action? A lot of money, right? Yeah. And we, we can get it. We can get it. All we have to do is eat more real food, fruits, vegetables, whole grain seeds, nuts, and legumes. And that's the crazy thing because here we are and it's like everybody wants the quick fix. They want to pop a pill and you don't need a pill. You have a whole plethora of plants, of fruits, of vegetables, of seeds, of nuts, of legumes that we could eat and that are delicious. You just have to take a little bit of time, just a little bit of time, not even a lot of time to prepare a meal for yourself, but a little time. It's a little self-care to do so much and to get the health, to reap the health benefits that we all keep saying, oh my God, I want this. And if only this felt better. And it's so simple. It's one of those where I just... Ah, it's so frustrating because I'm like, it's so simple. It's right. It's at our fingertips. Health is at our fingertips. Autumn, it is, it is not about restriction. No. The key is about abundance. It is not about, it, it is the solution to optimizing our health is not about fads. It's not about quick fixes or shortcuts. It's about developing lifestyle habits that heal our body because when they become habits, they are very natural and you don't even think about it. And you're just healing yourself as you live your daily life. And the last thing is it's not about perfection. It's not holding ourselves to unachievable standards. 
It's about progress. It's about trying to do a little bit better and recognizing that once in a while, I'm going to have the not a move and that's okay. Yes. I love that you said that because it's one of my favorite sayings. I tell people all the time, it's not about, uh, it's not about perfection. It's all about progress. People oh. are shocked when they follow ultimate portion fix, which is my nutrition program. And they're like, oh my God, this got better and this got better and this got better. And they don't realize it's because it's actually designed to be very plant heavy. Like the way it's broken up, you have to eat this many servings of vegetables a day. Like, and it's based on, you know, size and things like that. And this many fruits a day. And here's your long list of different carbohydrates that you can eat. But the long list is 95% plants that they get to choose from. So they don't realize like, oh, by following it, I've switched from eating all this processed food to eating all this real food. And this is why I feel so much better. And I know in your book and Fiber Fueled, for people that are looking to go even deeper, you give your plan. You give your plan on how to reintroduce foods if you've got a food sensitivity, which I love, which I'm actually using. I'm following it right now to do exactly what Dr. B was just saying, which is to get those beans back in, get those nuts back in, get the flaxseed back in, because I know that there's so many health benefits to them. And I was thrilled to learn that like they didn't have to be gone forever. Um, so if you guys want it again, the book is fiber fueled. And then Dr. B, can you tell them where they can find you on social media? Cause I know people are going to just be all about following you and tuning in and getting the book and using it to the best of their ability. I love it. Um, so you can come find me on social media, both Instagram and Facebook as the gut health MD. And you can come and find me at my website. It's the plantfedgut.com. If you come to my website, a couple things. I have an email list that people really dig where basically I do breakdowns of studies when they come out. So like I had a new email that just went out today about a study that talks about how our microbiome evolved from pre-industrial to industrial times. Oh, wow. So yeah, so I do all these, I do study breakdowns and people really seem to enjoy that. It's like cutting edge science as it comes out. Um, I have a COVID-19 guide. I have a clinical research guide that's all completely free. And then the other thing I'm super excited about, Autumn, is I'm launching a course in late August. And basically what this is, is like the book is the starting point, but there's so much more that I want to say that I couldn't put into the book. And the course is the opportunity for me to address something that's been frustrating me, which is that even with my own patients, I only get 30 to 60 minutes with them. I want to teach them everything. I want to, I want them to have the fundamental knowledge that they need to be able to heal themselves. And the course allows me to do the entire deal over seven weeks and break it all down and give them complete knowledge so that they truly know how to heal their gut and optimize their microbiome. So I'm super excited about that too. I will be signing up. <laughs> That's amazing. You guys, this has been awesome. I could literally talk your ear off for hours and I, I'm sure people would listen. So we'll have to jump on again soon but thank you so much for taking the time i think this is so helpful you guys again the book is fiber fueled make sure you check it out thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today love it autumn thank you so much for having me on enjoyed it welcome thanks for listening to the let's do life podcast with me autumn calabrese this show is produced by will sterling for podcast one be sure to download new episodes every week and subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or at podcast one.com And don't forget to leave a rating and review.